Welcome to episode 120 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have the creative team at Hall and Mirrors. That's the folks who are putting on you, the show which has uh, got some attention, turned some heads, uh, because it is upending the traditional economics of theater by being a $5,000 ticket for one patron at a time. We have writer, producer, and the, the the brain behind the project, Edward Tucker. We've got director, Daniel Student, and one of the very talented cast members, Lola Kelly, uh, all of whom are going to sit around the microphone and uh, talk about this with me soon. And we we dive right into it. We'll we'll get into more about that interview in a moment. And this is that's a long one, so it's the only only segment we have for you today. But first, a little bit of business. Starting with, we need to thank our latest Patreon backers. Now, as I've said many a time before, um, the only financial support for No Persinium is the Patreon, which means that all the folks who who give us money, uh, and it and it is money, it is money that they are giving. All the folks who give us money, uh, they are why the show exists. We have 86 patrons right now, and we're pulling in $406 a month, which is not enough to make this a full-time job. Um, And do not doubt me when I tell you that this could easily be two people's full-time job, which uh, would... If only one could live off of $203 a month, that would be fantastic. Uh, It would also be uh, $19.26. Uh, We're not there yet. Uh, We will be at $20.26 soon. That's beside the point. I need to thank some people who gave some money this week. Uh, That includes Dustin Andres and Jeffrey Long. Thank you for jumping on board. We are now on our way to our $500 a month goal, which will give us some financial stability and uh, let us have a a serious line item budget, like an actual line item budget for um, for compensating our writers on their travel and other expenses, uh, local travel and other expenses. We're not flying anybody out to London because we have people in London now, which is another thing I want to talk to you about this week. This was an amazing week on the website. Wow. Oh, I should tell you how to do the Patreon. Oh yeah. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Yes, I'm very bad at this. I wish I wasn't. I'd, there'd probably be more money in the kitty if I was better at it. Um, I just can't relentlessly promote myself when I have to relentlessly promote all of you. Um, well, that's not all we do, but we did do some stuff in London this week, thanks to uh, Shelley Snyder. Uh, we had this great day uh, this week on the website, noforsinium.com, where, uh, you know, we have like five featured articles right on the front page, you know, and then you like scroll down, you see the rest. So those are the top five. If you look at it on your phone, it just doesn't look special, but on, on the laptop, on the desktop, it does. And uh, not a single one of those five, not none of the reviews or the features were written by me. I was so, so ecstatic about that. Uh, not because I don't like writing, but because uh, I, I like to see this growing well beyond uh, just the work that uh, that we've been doing here, toiling away for a long time. And there's been plenty of folks who have contributed before in the past. This is not about that. This is about 
um, the, the site becoming sustainable and uh, there being more people working on it. And I'm very thankful for um, the community of, of writers who have come together around this place. Um, it just warms my heart. So uh, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the thanks. I'll, I'll do some like shout outs later in the show. Um, there are a couple other things I want to do business wise before we uh, get into it. Uh, first up, Waking La Llorona, which is an amazing show, which is taking place uh, at the Wow Fest in San Diego. Uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, they've got a run. They are trying to extend their run past Wow. They've got a Kickstarter going on right now. It'll be in the show notes. They are within a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars of their ten thousand dollar goal. They've got just a few days left. Now I know that there are a lot of really good charitable causes out there. Another reason why I'm not like you know like oh my Patreon, give me money. Um, I mean, look, we're we're working hard over here. But I also understand that, you know, there are hurricanes and fires and all kinds of legal disasters that are happening and everyone everywhere needs um, your your help. They do. Um, and they do. And I, I hope that you're, you're, you know, putting funds in, in kitties that need help. Um, I also hope that art can be part of that mix for you if you've, if you've got the funds. Uh, Waking La Llorona is a very special piece. Um, I've given, uh, even though I, you know, I'm not going back to see it again. Um, mostly because I also don't want to like steal someone's slot. I want as many people as possible to be able to see this. So, uh, handing over some money to make sure that happens is definitely, uh, within, um, within reason of, of my little brain. Um, my very tiny, tiny brain, which, uh, is mostly listening to the, uh, neighbor waste a lot of water right now. That's that, that's what that sound is, by the way. They just love wasting water. Um, luckily we had good rains. Unfortunately, good rains led to bad fires. Um, anyway, let's not be depressed. Uh, waking La Llorona, there's just a few more days left. We can do this. If everyone who's listening to the show this weekend who hasn't given money uh, drops in like, you know, let's say like five bucks, five bucks to Waking La Llorona, the $5 challenge, as I used to call it, cost of a latte in Silver Lake at the cheap place. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, uh, just, just do it. Kickstarter.com, Waking La Llorona. Uh, that's W. A-K-I-N-G space L-A space L-L-O-R-O-N-A. Look for it. Drop them five bucks. Help help them keep the show running so that people can see the show, so that more people can see the show. This is how this works. One more thing to keep your eyes peeled for. We were going to announce this week. Uh, we've we've got to like, you know, get clearances and approvals and sign offs on language. Cause you know, when you're doing stuff at a high, high professional level, everyone's got something to say about it. Uh, that's fine. That's good. It means those are the right problems to have. What's Noah talking about? Why is he talking about like, like approval processes? Because we're doing an immersive design summit in San Francisco on January 6th. And we have a really great keynote speaker and we have an amazing lineup of speakers and guests who will be doing everything from like little Ted talk like things to fireside chats. Uh, this will be 
a ticketed event that pretty much like only about a hundred people are going to be able to go to because of the venue we have. And also because that's how we wanted it this time. Uh, this is a summit, which means it's a meeting of the minds and we will be announcing the price for it a little bit later in the month. Once we figure out all the math, we're doing our best to keep the price in check. Uh, but we're also racking up some expenses because, you know, we're bringing some people in and I'm, oh God, I wish I could tell you by this time next week, you'll know. Uh, this is something that uh, Gabe Smudrin of Venture Design Group, Steve Boyle of Epic Immersive and myself have been working on for the better part of the year uh, on and off and fits and starts and it is coming together right now and it's very exciting and it is eating up a lot of bandwidth uh in my brain and um i just can't wait to show you what we have lined up um i don't revel in it as much as i should it's pretty flippin awesome go to immersivedesignsummit.com sign up uh for the uh to to get the first announcement of when it's happening we're going to use a registration process this is aimed at creators at producers, at uh, folks in the marketing world. If you are someone who is working behind the scenes, establishing yourself, establishing a career, or you want to meet up with other folks, not just from LA or from the Bay Area, but from indeed from around the country, who are exploring this wonderful world we live in, um, this summit is going to be a great way to kick off the year. Anyway, more on that next week with absolute certainty. I mean, there's all these disasters, but I don't think so. Okay. That's enough of the business. I've been talking too long. Let's get to setting up the show today. This conversation is excellent. Um, they all are, aren't they? No, no, no. This is, this is a really good one. We've got, a, we've got a lot of good episodes like in the queue. I'm excited about that. Had have had some great conversations lately. Um, Edward and Daniel and Lola are incredibly sharp people. Um, they are insightful. This is, this is such a, um, it's such a bold experiment and indeed a daunting experiment, uh, and not without, you know, rightful, some controversy. I mean, the idea of, you know, putting on a full show for one person and charging, you know, $5,000 for it is, uh, it's it's bound to get people talking. There's there's a method to the madness, and um, does all do all the angles work out? Um, I don't I don't tell people what to think. I know that I'm 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 satisfied with their intent here. Um, they're they're not out from what I can tell to from what I can tell qualifying them out. Look, I tell you with like ninety nine percent certainty. As much as this this water hose is going to drench my windows in a second. I can tell you that, uh, that they are in this to figure out some problems that we're all trying to figure out in this space. And it's just a, a kind of a radical approach to it. And we're going to get into that and a bunch of other stuff about the show coming up right after the little music break. <laughs> Uh, you guys were so loud a second ago, and now we're like, some dude, you know, we've been recording. Oh, there we go, that's a little bit good. Um, I've got 
three folks with me here, and we'll have them sound off a little bit so you can get used to their voices. Uh, to my, and I wish I had a binaural mic, because then we'd actually be able to position you in space. One day. One day we're going to have that. Um, to my left is... Hi, I'm a Daniel Student. I'm the director of you. I'm Lola Kelly, and I'm an ensemble member in you. And I'm Edward Tucker, and I am the producer and writer of you. And as you can tell, we're talking about you. Not, not you, but you, the show that is for one person uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, it is, uh, well, how would, who wants to take the description? Who wants to? Dan- oh, Daniel and Edward Daniel are pointing is, at each other. Exactly, we're pointing at each other. And, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that, that um, Daniel is, is ready to I give that ready. description. Uh, so uh, you is a performance from one audience member uh, with an ensemble of seven. Uh, and it takes place in a undisclosed location in a warehouse in Los Angeles. And uh, it is uh, evening designed to see what would happen if the audience is actually in control of an experience of theater. Uh, and they get to uh, really navigate the evening entirely from how long the evening goes to what they choose to watch. Uh, we modeled it over a fine dining model. So they get a menu of what we call plates instead of plays. And we have built a full bar for them, and they uh, are greeted by a host, um, who's most frequently played by Lola, uh, with us here, and uh, get to go through an experience of uh, being told that this was created, this entire uh, 10,000 square foot warehouse was created for you, that we designed this space, and that you really have control how this night's gonna go. Um, And out of that has been born this amazing theatrical experiment of uh, of each night being this completely different, dumbfounding, surprising adventure, uh, even though only a few ones I got to see as the director, um, but just watching from there, of uh, what it really means that um, uh, when, when the actors are not in control of the experience, that the experience is different every single night and really is centered on holding a mirror up to you. And you get to... to play within that, but also discover within that and have an emotional connection to the artists in the room that uh, I've, frankly, I've just never seen. Now, when we talk about people being in control, we're talking about they have the ability to, they get to pick which of the plates is served at any given time. They can start it when they want to, they can stop it. Has anyone rewound, gone back? Let's just do that. Has anyone done that gag yet? We actually had talked about that. What would happen if someone watched the same plate maybe three times in a row? And what an opportunity. But it's amazing. I don't think that crosses your mind as an option. Even within this, you already walk into the room with your sense of what your limitations are uh, without even having to state that out loud. But the one thing that we did discover that really blew our minds was uh, one of my early predictions for this is I said, guys, we need to craft this so it can be like a 90-minute experience because it's going to be so overwhelming. It's going to be so overwhelming. Someone's going to come in and they're going to like all this attention on them and maybe this is just my own sense of myself coming through. They're going to, you know, they're just going to get like three or four plates. They'll sit at the bar with you for a few minutes and then they're just going to want to go. Even if they do spend a lot of money, it's just not going to work that way. And it's I don't phrase, know. By the way, the actual phrasing of this is Edward. They're gonna want to go. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna want to go home. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're gonna want to go home yeah. after 90 minutes. Then I'll, I'll I'll turn it back over. Again. I don't know what our average runtime is, but I'm just gonna say it's four it's, hours. It's close to four hours. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and where else do you get someone sitting for a, any play for four hours, whether they're forced to or not? You know? <laughs> uh, 
I mean, the last time for me was we had a we had two intermissions and a dinner break, but it was uh, both parts of Angels in America, mm-hmm. like back in the '90s. But that was like the last time I did like a marathon of 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 theater, right? Like at, above like two and a half hours, right? Um, but people are people. So how many times have you guys done it now? We've like, eleven shows. Eleven um, shows. Yeah, we have eleven shows, and we have shows coming up, um, and so. A total of I think twenty nineteen or twenty um, on the books right now. Okay, well, and and since for those who haven't read the review or like read Bill Raiden's feature, just to like do a little more setting at the table here, uh, this is not a inexpensive ticket. This is this is a four hour long experience. Like on the average, it's one person. It's seven performers. Some some other folks. Are on the crew who are both visible and maybe invisible. I'm curious about that. Uh, so it's good for like five, yeah. five thousand right now. Right? Starts well, at five thousand. Starts at five thousand. Yeah. Starts at 5, yeah. And I think that that, that 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 also speaks to kind of the birth narrative of the production. Um, it is delightfully ironic that as we record this, we are literally sitting um, in a room across the street from the Pantages, um, where right now people are lining up and heading into Hamilton. And I think, you know, a little bit about the background of how this came into being, for me, this is Edward and, and the producer, is um, I was in New York for, and I have an art background, but not a theater background. I'm a visual artist and an installation artist, a sound artist, but I, I don't have a theater background. And a year ago, I was in New York for a business meeting and um, got on StubHub and decided to really blow it up and really just like, look, I, 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 I grew up and I loved theater. I loved musical theater in particular, and I always respected the art form. And so I had, had heard about Hamilton, and I said, if you're going to do it, do it right. So I got on StubHub. I got orchestra, you know, five rows back, whatever, D, E, F, somewhere in there, and right in the middle. Um, and... Um, and it was amazing, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and it was amazing, and it was amazing, but it was still me and 1,300 other people, one of whom next to me had a cold, the kid in front of me was like kind of obnoxious and loud, and, and, <laughs> and here's this beautiful work of art, the apex, you know, theoretically, of, of the theatrical experience, and, and, and I came away, and, and it wasn't so much that I ever had a moment where I doubted the the brilliance or the genius of of Miranda or the production values or the experience that was Hamilton. It was, all right, if we really start from scratch and if our bold experiment is we're going to worry about perfection first and production costs second, mm-hmm. right? And that was the unifying vision, perfection first, down to, and you commented on it in the, the review, down to literally the invitation. We spent a week figuring out of all of the invitations, which ones are perfect, of all of the experiences of how to transport the audience to the venue, which one is perfect, of all of the plate structures, which one is perfect, right? And, and at the end, we then came to how much does perfect cost. Right. And then we said, all right, cool, then that's how much the tickets will cost. Is, and, and one thing about the economic structure of our play is yes, our tickets start at $5,000 per ticket. All of that money. Functionally, the, each show costs 4600 and change to produce. Um, all of that money goes to the cast. All of that money goes to the crew. All of that money goes to people actually associated with the production itself. And, and that itself was a statement 
not a real deliberate statement, but we noticed it after the fact about the aftermarket and about the role played by the aftermarket in ticket prices and about the extent to which actors don't participate yeah. in that aftermarket economics. And so that's, that's I guess, kind of a, a, a longer version of here we are sitting across from the Pentages, sitting across from Hamilton, and, and we take inspiration from that. But we also are really trying some new things theatrically, some new things economically, and we think they're paying off. What's interesting to me about the model of just kind of going for because like we'll see you know the, the articles hit and we instantly saw people say things like well why not do it for two people and then people have asked me like well would this work for like a small group of folks and on on the one hand in terms of structure i could say well yeah you could structurally you could do that with this form of bringing people a, a small cadre of people into it the each of the shows each of the plays that are comprised of this would not work with more than one audience member, which is the thing that I haven't gone and told people, and you know about that part of it, because you'd have to you'd have to have entirely different plays if you were if you were trying to go for, for that route. But I I'm I'm really interested in this idea of what is the, like the true sustainable model, and what's the sustainable model for a performer trying to make a living in a theatrical you know, setting, particularly when it's something where it's got a level of high touch to it. It's got a lot of attention. Because one of the things that's interesting in immersive right now is there is a lot of emphasis, to some degree because it's what people can structure and it's what's novel, on the one-to-one or you know a small group of actors with an audience member for... 5, 10, 20, 15 minutes, somewhere in there you process them through, or uh, kind of a dark ride structure, you know, funhouse scenario where someone comes in, they get a scene, and then 20 minutes later, like, they're out, and, like, they're on to the next scene, and maybe they have, like, a, I did one this weekend, it's, like, an hour and a half, you know, show, but you're going from scene to scene to scene, and there's always someone kind of in the car right behind you. But finding a way to make even that economically sustainable, those ticket prices start creeping up and we know that performers are still not getting a lot of money. Right. There, there are shows in town right now that might have a lot of performers, and they're still, maybe they're making $100 a night, and they're performing many, many, many times. Like, they're performing over the course of, like, three or four hours for not a lot of money. Um, so this idea of how much does this actually cost... Yeah, and I think yeah. it's really exciting for us. I mean, it, it certainly, we always want to be really clear. The art comes first. The theater comes first. The create, the pursuit of that perfect experience for the audience member really does come first for us. And, and we've taken honor and pride in, in keeping true to our values about that. Now, as we have accomplished that and as we continue to try and hone that and refine that, there's been a couple of conversations within the cast is we've now sold tickets um, that are higher face value tickets than any ticket sold in the history of American theater. Hmm. Period. Right? Like that's a true sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that for us, and, and all of that then goes back to the cast. And I think for us, one of the kind of, I guess, it, it doesn't really feel like a subversive message to us. It now feels like, wow, this should have been obvious to us. That's how much theater costs. Yeah. Right, is to, to bring that home to our audiences. That's how much theater costs. 
If yeah. you really want to know what what it costs to compensate actors well, what it costs to rig lighting, what it costs to, to insure your play, what it costs the billion odd logistical details. The insurance is the part that people don't think about. <laughs> they, they, they really do not think about the insurance. I was having a conversation with a creator here in town uh, last week, and they're working on a big project. And we were talking. We were talking about uh, a smaller project that it had. You know. I think everyone's listening knows what I'm talking about. There, there was there was a show that had an incident, and the thing we wound up talking about was how that endangers everyone's insurance premiums. Okay. Or talking to the companies who are trying to get like a year long insurance policy, and it's it's not, it's it's something that on the one hand you 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 don't want the audience to be thinking about. You don't want someone sitting there in a show going like. Oh man, what's their policy on this one? <laughs> like, like right. that's the last thing you want to have happen. But then, like the expectation, yeah, it's got to be an order. It's got to be an order. And then the expectation people have for like what can be delivered to them at a, at a price point. Because then, because when I go to a show now, and I will be thinking something like that, I will be thinking about like the value of it. I was like, okay, this is like a this is like a seventy five dollar ticket. Is this worth seventy five dollars? You know, there's a subjective side to it, and then there's the objective. Like, well, once I do all the math. Like there's 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 no profit margin here, yeah. and and is that sustainable? And almost everyone's knowing that they're they're running beneath the threshold of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll probably come back around to this. And I think uh, that's a really exciting question about yeah. sustainability that we're looking at now into October into November. Is part of what's challenging for many traditional productions is the number of audience members they have to generate at price mm-hmm. point Y. Part of what's a really interesting thing for us is we can run five or six shows a month at our price point and we can easily break even, right? And we're not going ever going to do a lot more than break even, yeah. but we can break even. And, and I think you're getting exactly to the right point of it, which is sustainability. Yeah. And then as the overall price of the art, and we expect it to increase. So, for example, we've had an active discussion of what do you do? When a client comes in and they want a particular bottle of wine that that is a spectacular bottle of wine, right? Is well, we're going to upcharge that at cost, right? We, we don't we don't expect to make money on someone else's wine that they're that they are making, but I think it is is the 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 constant improvement of the drama then leads us to have the ability to raise the prices to feed that back to the cash. We're already paying well above scale for theater. In, in Los Angeles, and we expect to be able to do that and to increase that and to increase that. That's the project. Um, that's, that is that notion of, of really exploring the economics of theater two ways. One, in our own production, and also by setting the anchor price point, is we want every theater in Los Angeles and every small theater everywhere to be able to say, hey, there's a production called You in Hollywood. Those guys charge 5,000 bucks for a ticket. That's the new anchor point. That's the new, right? If you go to the Super Bowl game, you're going to pay between $5,000 and $10,000 to go to the Super Bowl. And that's expected and that's normal to watch a play where X number of athletes face off against Y number of athletes and perform in a performance for X number of hours in front of 70,000 people. And you're going to pay between $5,000 and $10,000 and that's normal. What's not normal is can taking the same five to ten thousand dollars and say I'm going to immerse myself in a in a deeply resonant emotional atmosphere with finely trained actors and I'm going to achieve emotional impacts unlike anything I have ever achieved in theater and I'm going to pay that same amount. That's not normal yet, and I think one of the things that we're having a great time doing is to try and make that normal. 
that it sounds crazy at first, but when you actually think about it, when you think about what things cost, the reason why NFL athletes don't have to work as waiters at night is because tickets are expensive. Right. Yeah. And 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 all we're saying is charge what it costs. I mean, we're not, we're giving an example where they charge well more what it right. costs. And even in the field of art, can right. you imagine someone going to a, a well-known visual artist and be like, I'm only going to pay you what it costs in materials? They would never consider that. The art obviously has more yeah. values. Right. And all we're asking the performing arts, and no one, and I, you know, I spent uh, nearly a decade as an artistic director, and always that, like, you paid this ticket price, now you need to donate this much more to my audience was so soul-sucking for me, you know, to look out in, the, in that audience and do that curtain speech and see people trying to look away how dare I ask them to actually give as much as it costs to do the thing and to just say that the revolutionary idea is simply to charge what something costs is yeah. says so much about theater but also says so much about the potential of this idea absolutely yeah there's there's a whole layer to you know because people balk at the price and like and and as I've copped to like there was there's no way in hell I would have been able to afford to do it right so like you know and, and that's Part of the part of the job as a as a writer as a critic of this stuff is you 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 the part of the exchange is the attention exchange and the the you know some people might see it as a value exchange but like you know I come and I observe and I write and I do the thing and and you know I don't pay for it and the the company and each the exchange cost. on that now is you could have torched us you could yeah. have gotten in there and not had a good artistic experience and yeah. we and you're a person of integrity and a, and a writer of integrity so you could have gotten in there it could have been bad and you would have let people know it was bad yeah I if <laughs> if I if I hadn't if I if I hadn't liked the stuff I would have said yeah this wasn't working this here and like I don't know about like and like all these things like. Uh, people have come at me and said like, oh, well, you're friends with this writer over here. How can you do... And then like not two weeks later, I had to be like, they've lost a step. You know, this was not a good show. Um, people, there's... there's uh, You know, we did a promo. We were doing a promo for something recently and my people went and saw it and there were some logistical problems. Did we publish a piece saying there were logistical problems? You bet your ass we did. So, and those were folks that we had, you know, an in-kind sponsorship deal. Like, and I'm, I'm not afraid. I can't be afraid. I, I'll get fired from my, from my paying job if I, if I don't say what I know to be true from the point of view I have. Yeah. One of the things that is that, that we're enjoying the attention we're receiving from, from the media, and and that's been a lot so far. It will continue to be, um, what we think is is an appropriate lot, right? Is, yeah. is we think that we've got a good idea. We're really exploring it. We're blowing it out. We're committed to it. Well, the um, idea that you guys can like. Get a, the, your runway. You don't need that many people in a month to break even because that was a major question. Because we're sitting down and like you know, like you know, we're all talking about you guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's like, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah actually, like, I don't think we did know that. Yeah, no, oh, no, 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 we're, no, we're no, like, no, like yeah, yeah. No, we're talking. We're like, we're sitting there. We're going. Oh, there's a lot of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like they're charging. How how is it working? How much runway do they have? How what's their break even point? Right? You know, like everyone's really interested. You know, like. You know, like, how are they getting away with it? Who are they marketing it to, right? These are all the kinds of questions that pop up because it's, you know, because of you're targeted at a group of folks who the vast majority of, of theaters in L.A. or even in New York, like, they will gladly have those people come, but they don't have anything laid out just for them, right? right? So, like, the idea of, like, how, how do you tap into that or how can you make it work or... 
and there's you know there's there's a part of me that's very much you know a, you know a small d democrat you know like i i like the democracy of theater and there's an aspect to the, the work you guys have put on that there's there's particularly a couple of the pieces um whose names will of course like escape me like right now but there's there's the one with the gods um perigee and uh and the board meeting as well i was sitting earnings there call. yeah earnings call and i was like earnings call would be hard to adapt to like multiple people but but perigee i was like oh i wish more than once during that night i was like oh i wish like more people could like see these or like or to model of something like you know, there's an old uh there's an old idea in the Creative Commons and in the Kickstarter was that you know the artists would like make something and then hold it for ransom on Kickstarter and say like I've got this thing and once I've got enough money to pay for the labor I've done to put in I will release it to the masses yeah. and I was watching some of these plays and be like oh man I dream of a day when they've retired this one from yeah, I think the place been, and Daniel yeah. and I and Lola have always talked about that is there will be retirement of menu items and not retirement because they're tired of retirement because they're awesome and we come up with new menu items yeah and I think at that point you know the model and, and um, that that we've talked about is just a, a an open license is yeah we want people to be able to act these plates we want people to be able to explore this structure we want, we you know we really are committed to what this is as a form of art and we think that that takes a community again it's back to this restaurant metaphor yeah. how do we benefit we benefit if the idea of a restaurant isn't new we benefit if there's 50 restaurants mm-hmm. right and if they're all producing fine cuisine and they're all producing all different kinds of cuisine and there's every every point along the value chain of what a restaurant is yes there's the finest of fine dining and yes there's really good dining and yes there's all of these things and, and I think that our ambition to participate in the community and to be in the community is is very genuine. Um, is to enhance and to enable a community of theater, particularly in Los Angeles. And and Daniel and I were kind of walking through the lobby and we were talking about it earlier. Is I think Los Angeles is the perfect place to start this. Um, is is here is this enormous pool of acting talent separated by what? couple thousand yards from this enormous pool in the hills of mm. affluence that loves theater um, we we are excited about trying everything we can in our production and encouraging everything we can in everybody else's production to unite the supply chain of talented actors with the supply chain of patrons of the arts who care about the arts and that's part of the experiment we're, we're like that's that's as much fun as, as all the rest of it again quality comes first but there's a whole bunch of, of, of really closely related ideas that come second, third, and fourth, and they're really important. Speaking of the talented pool of performers, Lola. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How did you get involved in this production? I also, I also want you to talk a little bit about your your history, uh, you know, you know, in in theater and you know, adjacent to immersive theater, because that was that was some of the fun we got to talk about during the show. Sorry, but yeah. yeah, but how did you how did you land up with these guys? Um, well, I do I do have an immersive theater background that goes back a long ways. I was in my first semester in a master's in performance studies at RADA, just mm. classical training, you know, there's busts of Gielgud in every corner, and I was doing Iambic pentameter for like 10 hours a day, and I was starting to just get 
to a point of oversaturation where I hate, I really started to hate proscenium theater, which m meant a lot to me because I love, I, I love proscenium theater again now, but only because I went to uh, Punch Drunk's Faust in Wapping. Mm. And it was in this four story sugar warehouse and I had never seen an immersive show before, but it just blew the doors open literally on what you could do in theater and I fell completely in love with this idea of creating very real emotional connections with audience members. There was a lot of one-on-ones in Punch Drunk at that time um, because there weren't huge, huge crowds <laughs> like there are now. Um, but it really swept me away and I, I continued working in immersive theater and then uh, many years later <laughs> I, I um, saw a breakdown for this immersive play and I went, went to a very strange and unusual and wonderful audition <laughs> um, that was it was long and it was immersive and um, yeah I ended up in, in this amazing thing that allows for that connection, I think, more than anything ever has. And that's really glorious, this opportunity to create something very real with an audience member that's genuine and connected and moves from moment to moment in an adventurous way. How do you approach making a connection with an audience member? Particularly because you're, in, at least in some cases, and in my case, you were the first of the performers that someone sees. Right. So what's what's your what's your prep for that? What are what is your There's, technique? Is there a prep? I mean, I guess the prep was three years of clown work and, and four years of improv and reading a lot of books and being caught up in pop culture and just like being me in in and and being someone who's genuinely interested in other human beings and what their stories are and who they are. And, but as far as like actual, like an actor prepares type day of process stuff, I, I think that that would be counterintuitive in a way because mm -hmm. you, can, you have to be present in the moment with the audience member or you're doing them and that connection a disservice. So if I walked into that car um, and had that initial chat with any expectations or preparation, then I, I, I would just be projecting my own ideas or hopes onto that experience. And I just like to walk in and check in on how they're feeling and go from there. Was that quality of someone who's able to be present, someone who's genuinely curious about other people. Was that the thing you were mining for in the audition? That's Daniel. Oh. I came in post-auditions. Oh. He came in post-auditions. Yeah, oh. But it was in rehearsal as well. So yeah. It, took yeah. it was definitely something we, we... So Lola refers to our first casting event was what we refer to within the production as the outpost event. Um, because <laughs> we, we got an Airbnb of a, of a very nice house up in the Hollywood Hills um, and we had an audition. Um, which was to come um, and to audition, you know, with sides. It was very professional, but it was also one of the things we were doing is a shakedown cruise on can you deal with the torque mm -hmm. of, of 
immersing yourself in the role, immersing yourself in, in an environment which is a very nice house in the Hollywood Hills, immersing yourselves in an environment that doesn't feel like a casting call at all, anywhere besides, and go. Yeah. Right. And so right away there was this, and it was a fascinating process. Who who immediately connected? And Lola was was immediately connected to that project, to that process, to the sides, and and it was very different. Right. Is is um, nothing against the traditional casting process, but this was we designed that process as a very hardcore shakedown cruise for an ability to emotionally connect, an ability to step out of, of what we think of as a traditional, at least audition process. Yeah. Um, and and it paid off. I think that uh, that our cast is phenomenal. Such um, an amazing ensemble and a group of people. It was a lot of fun to like walk into that room and like not recognize anyone hmm. and and be there's there's a quality to any immersive experience, any interactive theater, any time when the veil is, is blurred, where there's a bit of a blind date quality to it, right? You know, like, I don't really know what I'm getting into. I don't know who these people are. What's it going to be like? And it was really fascinating to see that pretty much everyone was 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 curious like it was a little intimidating because everyone was like dressed nicer than me uh, <laughs> I was like oh, I've, I've tried but I'm not you know it was intimidating for me every time yeah <laughs> it's just like it's just not part of the, the you know I'm not, I just I wear all black all the time so what am I going to do um, the uh, but but being able to just like after a little while just you know chatting with everybody and knowing that people were like like there's there's a quality you can tell when someone's pushing themselves to be curious and, and be a conversationalist and when someone's just actually like if you just drop them in a room full of people and they were they were they had like nothing better to do they would just start talking about whatever and it was definitely the latter that I was that I was experiencing um, is that and also is that the thing that's like extending the night I think much? so yeah. I mean people mm-hmm. spend four hours at the bar sometimes yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and there was one audience member that we had that think yeah spent three and a half hours straight at the bar without seeing any plates in that time Whoa. she saw a plate and then spent mm-hmm. three and a half hours having a chat with us and it was but it was theater it was mm-hmm. very real theater that time and it was beautiful and I think you know she she said that that time was very formative for her mm-hmm. yeah and I think that that's one of the reasons why we do feel like the art is working, is we're creating an envelope where you are the center of the concerted attention of seven intelligent, bright, vivacious, creative human beings, and where you can genuinely see yourself through the lens of their own eyeballs, right? See yourself reflected back, yeah. see yourself in the dialogue. And it's funny because if you ask what the real luxury of the play is. It's not the transportation, it's not the stage values, it's not the lighting. The real luxury of the play is that for most of, for most people on planet Earth, this will be the only chance they ever have to be that perfect center of attention, genuinely, emotionally available, authentic, creative, theatrical, all of those things mixing into one and into what I think of as this kind of like this bubble of emotional reality Right, and and that's 
I think the invention, that's what we're continuing to refine. We'll always right. try and all the details, but, but that emotional bubble where it's enveloping you, where it's creating this, this sense of true acceptance and curiosity, then allows you to say, well, who am I? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the play. Yeah. That's why I think the one person thing is so important with this particular play. And mm-hmm. Hall and Mirrors, which is the name of the company, has bright plans for the future, and that might include shows from more than one person. But the show is called You for a reason, and exactly what Edward is talking about is why it being for one person is so necessary because it's so much about personal reflection and what these choices that you're making say about you as an individual. And if you make those choices, even as a couple, then you lose all of that. Yeah, there's a negotiation. There's a negotiation that happens between two people or thinking of things as a a team or as, you know, there's there's these choice points you give. And it's, it's not about choose your own adventure necessarily in the whole thing, but they're, you know, often the pieces are structured that there's kind of, a bit of a moral to the story, but that moral hinges on your choice. Right. You know, what are you going to do? What does that, you know, what does it say about who you are in that moment or who you want to be in that moment and give you the chance to explore it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I am kind of curious that no one's like gone, done one, and then be like, rewind, let's try, let me try the alternate ending. Or even just be like, can we just take it back? Are you guys prepared for someone to be like, can we take it back from... People have asked yeah. uh, for that, but then sort of chickened out. Oh, really? Yeah. That's happened, I want to say, two, three times. Where they so were like, they I was just going... kidding, I was just kidding, I was just kidding. But, and I, I have, as Virgil, tried to coax them into like telling the truth. of like, do you really want to do that? Because if you really want to do that, we can do that. Yeah. And I've seen that, that pause, but no one has ever... <laughs> oh. That's actually yeah, a obstacle to get over. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fact that. And we talk about it. I think one of the things that's most fascinating for me as the writer of this is, and, and we have right at the beginning of Perigee, is boxes and buckets and walls. Yeah. Is you come in with your expectations and you come in with the rules that you've been given about what theater is and what theater can be, and it's those rules are twenty six hundred years old. And those rules say that a big group of people will come in and watch a little group of people, and the big group of people will give some small amount of money to the little group of people, which will aggregate into enough money for the little group of people to make food payments. Right? That's 2,600 years of the supply chain of theater. I think one of the things that's really, really interesting is that that's baked so deeply into the skin of even theater aficionados mm-hmm. that when we get in this, this universe, which is ours, Right? This universe belongs to the audience. This is really their, their universe. Right? Is I think it, it probably will take some time. I think it will probably take some experience and some reflection to recognize, hey, what do I really want out of this? Do I want to do perigee three times in a row? Mm-hmm. And just look because that's exploring me. Do I want to run it backwards? Our actors are, are world class. Our actors can, can deliver a stunning experience of that play, and, and I'm not overclaiming it. You Why didn't you do it, Noah? Why didn't you choose the play in a row? I, I definitely thought about it while I was in the space. A part of it was like, I wanted, I wanted to see, I often want to see in a piece, I want to know what the piece is trying to say to me, right? I want to see what the performers have. It's interesting, because like, um, I was talking with someone once, what was new? messaging talking about Then She Fell, which mm-hmm. is, you know, one of my favorite pieces. 
And I was talking, it was with a, another performer. And this performer has a, a show that's very interactive. But in that interaction, it's really about getting the audience to sort of take on these roles to sort of create the world of the show with the performer. Mm -hmm. So they endow the audience with a lot of tasks and roles and things. It's like, I want you to do this. And they almost like, it's almost like the audience is an orchestra of performance. And it's a great, and it's, it's, it's a really fun show. They saw Then She Fell, and there's a moment where, uh, more than once in the show, there's a moment where there's like dictation, like a character's dictating to you. And this person just decided to write, dick, 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 instead of dictation and then showed it to the performer and they said they didn't react at all it's like i hated the show they didn't react to the to like what i did and i sat there thinking to myself why would you do that that's like that's like jumping onto a dance floor where everyone's doing the charleston and insisting that we do the lindy hop mostly because you don't know how to charleston and you don't want to learn right like it's to me it's always a partner dance and i don't know the steps so I need to learn the steps. That being said, I did get the sense that if I wanted to go power mad or that someone could go power mad and just be like, tonight I'm director. I want you to retake that. Okay, do that again, but this way. And like wondering how much that would like knock it over. But I didn't come to troll the piece. I didn't come to QA test it, right? If like, if you'd invited me in as a test audience, Right, and not as someone trying to like absorb the pieces. I might have gladly have just been like, "All right, they're not prepared. I wonder if they're prepared for this contingency." Which would be like, "Hold, please. All right, I need that again, but I want you to be sad now, and see if everyone's just like, the hell with you. Like that's not the piece, right? But I wasn't test. I wasn't QA testing. I wasn't right. stress testing the piece. I was I trying to understand. Like I mean, I think it's, yeah. it is really interesting in, in the dynamic that you're calling attention between the audience and the art that we have created. This is an art of flexibility, and this is an art about them, but this is also an art. Yeah. And we take it seriously, and we take our scripts seriously, we take our sets seriously, we take all of the, the lighting cues seriously, the sound cues seriously, and, and I think one of the things that has been, been beautiful about the, the interactions that we've had with the audience is that we take them ultimately seriously mm -hmm. as human beings, and that they've taken us seriously mm -hmm. as a work of art attempting to communicate with yeah. them. And as human beings. And as human beings. Yeah, yeah, I think that there is a mutual respect that happens quite quickly mm. um, in this piece, which is wonderful. I must say, though, I sort of side with your friend a little bit. I think that if a play is immersive and there's zero acknowledgement of what the audience is doing, then that, is, that feels like a bit of a failure to me. And I feel like putting it in, in our worlds and in, in the you worlds, I think we do want to create a, a universe in which we react to dick, 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 dick. Effectively. Yeah. yeah, and we acknowledge that that, that silliness is a part of you. And let's engage with that silliness and don't try to judge that desire and just take it on as part of our curiosity. I just know so many people who they look at a structure and the first thing they do is like, how do I break it? Right. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's, it's, it's interesting because every, every immersive piece, particularly these days will have its own, its own rule set. And those could be, 
explicitly given out. I went to a show the other day and they gave, you know, like the before loading in speech, the before the curtain speech. Um, and another performer who was there to see the show with me turned to me and said, does everyone do this now? Is this normal? We didn't do this on our show. Why are people doing this? And I was like, this is kind of normal now. And they're like, what? I don't, I don't, I was like, oh, I've been to shows where the audience treats it like an escape room and they're going to, they'll tear apart the entire building if you don't tell them there are no clues in the drawers. There's like nothing here for you to find. And, and, and you because one of the things that's interesting about this, the, 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 the world I live in right now is that the audience is coming from all these different spaces. Like people who are like really into, into escape rooms are, are discovering the, like these theater things because of a crossover at some point. And said, oh wow, cool, there's like this story and then like there's clues and I can keep on pulling it apart. And so I've, like I said, I've, I've watched them tear the lobby apart looking for clues because you know that's no one told them that there wasn't anything to find, right? You know, no one sent them on to their next. No one gave them an objection, uh, an objective. Um, I, I also see people who you know like pull back entirely and who like don't know that they can lean a little bit forward and and shows that don't really. Shows that so want you to like jump in and start sort of almost improvising with them without really giving you a framework to understand what your interface is. Like where, well, what's my cho- what's what are my choices, right? You know, like you can do anything, but what are my choices, right? right? You know, like this is. I mean, if you if you go to me and you say you can do anything, I was like, what do it. Do I fall back on my improv training? Like, is it justification endowment games now? Right? Are we doing status transfer? Like, I can do that. But then I'm co-creating. And that was actually one of the things that was interesting about the, the line between the bar and the, the plates. Mm-hmm. In that in the bar, we were co-creating a universe together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and it, was, it was possible to subvert you know, some of the structural stuff in there and, and play with you guys. And then it was time to go into the next little world. And in that world, there were there might be different rules, and I was you know there to be a quick study of like oh what are the rules what how does this one work, you know what what am I cast as you know just how quickly can I figure that out, um, and I really loved that each one operated you know on some variation of, of a set. Daniel, how did you get involved? So you came in after the casting. I did, yeah. Um, so what what pulled you in, and then what was your what was your road? to you. Sure, yeah. Uh, so one of the actors in the um, show is an actor I directed in Philadelphia like six years ago. Mm. And uh, even when he got, I don't know if I ever said this to you, but even when he got cast, I mean, before I was even a, a figment in my eye that I'd be a director, he was like, you have to hear at the show. I can't tell you anything. We have to hear about this show. And it was just, I mean, it was just an instant passion I hadn't seen in him, you know, for, for grad school, for anything. Mm. Um, and... Uh, there came a time when there was an opening for a new director to get involved in the piece, and uh, I just scrambled. You know, within forty-eight hours, I you know I read everything. I had taken copious. I didn't sleep much one night. Like I just went because, you know, I just uh, I was talking jokingly with Edward the other day that um, I've had with experiences with writers, pro- writer producers, people who wear both hats is they tend to have a really like grand sense of what they're going to do, and sometimes the work doesn't hold up to that. And it can be a very frustrating place when you're dealing with someone who wears both of those hats mm. and feels that sense, and you're trying to direct and help them craft their material, but also deal with the producer hat and 
and get the job done that they want done. Um, the only thing worse is an actor producer, and that's. <laughs> I haven't had that yet. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I was trying to be very nice about our producer, so you know, uh, I couldn't say other things. Uh, you know, and the, and, the, and immediately got this sense that you know, and I, we said this to you offline, but I mean, I read this work and I was like, this is Tony Kushner and Tom Stoppard, and I was like, are you, are you serious? This guy just sort of started playwriting recently. He was like, yeah, and it was just. Yeah. Insane, and then I and when you talk to the guy, and when you set when you set when you guys brought that up, like I'm sitting there in my car in Los Angeles, going like, yeah, right, and like, you know, you, you, <laughs> I was because I, I was coming ready to be like, oh, no, I don't know, but like, no, 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 you, the, the, that was there, that was there, that was very, but sorry, no, no, yeah, no, I'm so glad it, you felt that, yeah, yeah, yeah that um, was really great, yeah, yeah, and then I talked to the guy, and he couldn't have been more bashful about who he was, and wanted to really let me direct. That was very clear, and. Um, immediately when we talked about editing the plays was like just send me what you think you want and he never once maybe one time there was like one line need to get back I'll in I was like I'll, I'll let that line go that's back right. in Everett. that's fine yeah. but I think that collaborative <laughs> process has been really essential to what we've accomplished I, I loved writing this play loved it it was an amazing experience and I've been a ghostwriter for 20 years so I'm no stranger to writing but I loved writing this play and this expression but I also loved what Daniel did to edit it and I think that what this been, been, and and by the way, that creative process is ongoing. Like Lola is now has agreed to direct one of our future plates, and I think a number of other cast members will direct. And and so and that isn't just a question of of directing from a sacred tome. I think one of the things Daniel did very very well is cut the parts of what I wrote that were shitty. Right, and and that's the technical term, but they were they were shitay shitay exactly. <laughs> and I and I think that one of the things that makes Hall and Mirrors Hall and Mirrors is a willingness to engage in a truly collaborative art process. I I I like writing. I'm confident in my writing. I, I think it is effective, and I'm delighted when people also agree with me. But I also think that 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 we have achieved a collaboration about that process that lets my writing be better over time, that lets it reach audiences more effectively, that lets it be directed to a place where it's it's the writing is the scaffolding but the yeah. play. Yeah. Because if the writing was so tight that it couldn't be improved upon by acting or directing, then it should be a novel. Exactly. Or a short story. It doesn't need like like and that's the beauty of that's the beauty of drama, is it like keeps adding, adding, adding. And there's sometimes you'll read something you know, and I'm thinking of like, you know, reading some like, you know, Beckett or something like that. And it's like, it's a great read and it is rarely enjoyable to like watch. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only person who loves Beckett. I've, but I've seen, but that's the thing, it's like, I I've love seen it. I really do understand Beckett, I guess. It's my Irishness I, coming through. I've seen it, I've rarely seen it performed well. Right. And when it's performed well, it's usually performed with like, a total surrender to the text. I once saw... Or in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. or in Ireland. There's yeah. so much Irish humor in it, I yeah. think. That yeah. The that Irish companies lost. I've seen do it are always the... It's like that insane. banter yeah. is hilarious, I think, when Irish... When I've seen Americans do it, like, frankly, I'm kind of... Okay. There's a performer named Jeff Hoyle who is a, is a clown by, you know, by trade. He, he trained with Etienne de Creux. Who trained Clowns know how to do Beckett, yeah. And what was interesting is it was a, it was a double feature of one, of one of the shorts, one of the one shorts that has the goad in it, which is something part two. Is, I can't remember the name of it. I'd read it before then. And then I think they were doing, um, 
I think they're doing Endgame, right? Mm. You know, um, and the Endgame was like, meh. but but the short, which was just him and almost mostly silent, it was perfect because here's a here's a fully trained clown. He would go on to um, originate the role of Zazu for Julie Tamer in The Lion King. Right? So this guy was an amazing performer. At first, it was actually, he was the reason why I went into theater instead of staying a film major, because in my senior year of high school, we went and saw a production of Volponi uh, at uh, Berkeley Rep, and he was playing Mosca. And like he like walked in and just like one rubbery human being owned an entire room in a heartbeat. I was like, Jesus, that's humanly possible? So I would always like take an advantage to like you know, see him perform. And... It was like watching the text be illustrated by a human being. And like mm-hmm. I had read it, and I was like, yo, yeah, that's just, it just like, like mechanical perfection. I'm jealous now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything else, everything, else, everything else was like watching college students try and get it right, and just like, no, cut all my eyes out. Um... So you hopped on. <laughs> and no, and everything you're hearing was so profound. I mean, I, I, I was so afraid in that first rehearsal. It was definitely the first time I'd ever come in after casting. And, you know, I come in, and one of the things I, I take pride in as a director I work really hard on is I, I write out, I listen a lot, and then I try to formulate all those ideas, and whether it's listening to a person who's live or just the writings and listening to the writings of, of, of the playwright and people who've spoken about the work, and try to formulate um, the whole play into one sentence. Uh, which I wish I could remember to tell you today. I was so excited by that, but I don't remember what sense it is at this point. But also, I elaborate on a couple pages and kind of bring in a document, and I give that same document to the designers that I give to the actors, I give to the producer, which I think is something that I've found has been really useful that gets that sense of buy-in to the bigger picture and that we're all marching towards that same beat. And um, in some ways, it was wonderful because it established that I knew what I was doing a little bit, but the other thing became very clear is I didn't really need to do it with this group. They were already on a beat, you know what I mean, in this really profound way, uh, in this really, frankly, nerve-wracking way. Um, and so already um, sincere and truthful with each other that has shown up in the performance. Um, and, and for me, that was just candy. You know, For me, that was just the kind of thing as a director that you spend the whole rehearsal process trying to build, and from that was allowing this, these chances. We talked about actually, uh, we had a, what we called a sincerity circle, um, a moment of when you know we were in a conversation and someone really wanted to just get to the deep core of what they really were thinking in that moment, that this was a rumor that was open and allowed, um, and, and was just tremendously profound. And from there, you know, on the more technical kind of stuff, uh, you know, the, the big idea for me was that I wanted it to be that wow moment, that big, clearly the space has been uh, one defined space for you to play in for this overwhelming sense of luxury as you come in. But then when you break down into these little nuggets, they reflect off of each other. Uh, each plate, kind of like you do in fine dining, has this sort of like, it's the same chef. You know it's the same chef, but you're eating a dessert. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with your entree, but somehow it's the same chef. But the creation of that dessert somehow lives only in the world of that dessert and in the world of the restaurant at the same time. And so, again, appreciating your review of just trying to like bring out every little element of the space. Um, I decided at some point during tech that we were never going to have the actors add any elements to the space. The spaces lived as they were. Mm-hmm. So we had that moment where that uh, monolith that was in the back of Perigee came down as the table. Yeah. Burning's calls. There's little moments like that that... Um, to me, uh, allowed us to just keep that sense of the audience is place in this world is never ending, 
but that there are little worlds within it that you're going to jump into for a second. Um, and that was an idea really from the get-go um, that we just sort of found our way through. So various director comments for you. I don't know if I <laughs> went anywhere no, you wanted me to go. No. But just things I were thinking about. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, because it's, you know, finding a way to unify. I mean, there's, there's thematic threads that, between the different texts, but, and, there, and there's the overarching concept of like, it's for one, it's about you. It often comes down to a question of who are you in this. Uh, but finding a way, because they're, 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 they're different scales, you know, they're, they're each structurally really different and tonally really different too. Right. And, and finding a cast that can, can stretch from like, you know, broad comedy to, to drama. And particularly having to just be ready for that. Like, what's the what's the emotional workout of four hours of like kind of bopping around and never never knowing where you're gonna be I've next? I've never slept so well in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a workout. It's a joyful and amazing. It's literally an actor's dream, right? Mm. Is every actor wants to play everything and have range and you don't often get to do that. Um, very, very rarely do you get to do comedy and very intense emotional drama in the same evening and explore different characters and different tones. So, I mean, it's a glorious challenge and one that I feel very lucky to have in my life, but it is definitely a challenge. <laughs> like, just physically, but the adrenaline takes over, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in the moment, it doesn't feel exhausted at all. Like, our audience members, you know, once it gets to hour four, we'll sort of look at the cast and be like, you guys must be so tired, but we're so energized by doing the thing. But as soon as the audience leaves, <laughs> we all just sort of... <laughs> fall in a puddle on the floor as soon as that is over you know it's like you know those those toys of the Eiffel Tower and you push them down and the Eiffel oh, Tower yeah. sort of collapses that's the cast after the show as as <laughs> the SUV drives away the gate is closed everyone right. just like cot where's the cot oh, I'm asleep now where's that equity cot <laughs> it's late enough for that equity cot for sure <laughs> what's, the, what's the latest this is a trivial question but what's the latest you guys have gotten out well it depends on the audience when the yeah. audience decides to get there um, yeah like, right, so to be clear, the show also starts when, when the, the person wants Because you yeah. can't okay. start a show with one person. Yeah, 132. 132. That's not too bad. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was for a show that started, I think that was our longest show. It started it like, like six or so. It was like five think, and a half yeah. hours. Oh, wow. Um, and, it was, and it was to Lola's point, and it's really, it, it's been an amazing thing to watch this cast do. Boy, they, everybody is giving it their all. Like, there's a moment when when the audience transport pulls away and everybody is just like almost like it's a collapse moment it's like god that was amazing that was perfect that was real that was that was what acting can be that was theatrical that was beautiful clump yeah it's 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 so and and part of it is emotional like part of it is there's this wave of postpartum depression that that comes after every single production mm. there's this wave of wait we've just connected with someone yeah. and now they're it's gone a, yeah it is a bit of a little death every 
That is interesting because that's. I mean, I'm very familiar with, you know, final show, mm-hmm. and you know, looking around sure. at the last cast circle and be like, oh, I'm not going to see these people again. Mm-hmm. And so every every show you lose a cast member. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we got to find that one too. We yeah. had one of our audience members, and I heard back from her, um, and it was really interesting. Um, is she had an amazing time. It was it was like one of the things we talked about as a goal for this production is we want somebody to be in an airport three weeks after the production and just to go, holy shit, I was there. Like, holy shit, that was real. That really happened. Yeah. And to have that kind of like breakthrough moment where 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 the the reality of the experience and the exceptionalness of the experience breaks through their world and for, for this particular audience member it did. And it, it was interesting though because there was genuine sadness. She had had a world which then went away. Mm. And, and there was this, it was almost like, you know, and, and, and we talked to the audience member afterwards, it was almost like a small grieving process. Where, and, and that's one thing that Daniel and, and I and Lola have talked about, is, is when people are in this show, the one thing, like, it's their experience and they can do with it what they want. But the one thing, as the writer, I would say is, drink deeply. Because this isn't going to happen again. Right. This is very carefully engineered to produce one thing which is never going to happen artificially, which is rarely going to happen on the face of the earth. This is an entire talented theatrical production catered and designed and focused on you as a person with acceptance and love and compassion. And that is rare and rare to the point of unique. And I think that what happens is when people go through this, I, I guess as, as the writer and, and um, as the producer, that's, that's the one thing I wish I could say and the one thing I absolutely can't say is drink deeply, right? Yeah. Be aware, this, is, this, this feels normal because all of the questions that you ask are, are the questions because you're talented and you've reviewed this and it all feels normal, but it's not. It looks just like everything you know, it looks like something that you know, but it's not. Mm, I hope, if only there was a vehicle in which you could say that to the audience mm-hmm. through Virgil, maybe, in Welcome. <laughs> 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 or perhaps by quoting a Whitman poem that attempts to make that very point. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's, what's interesting about that is there's... There's a current going through a part of the immersive world where people are grappling with this question of personalizing a show, how much agency granting to someone, how much you know data mining to do on 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 a, a person to make them a character in this story or to make them a participant, and there's there's a couple of different approaches to that and I always look at it as a byproduct of we have all of those all the data mining all of the 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 faux connection that goes on through Twitter through Facebook through Google all these ways to sort of personalize the world for us in a way that is designed not to be responsive to us, but to fit us more tightly into a category that can be sold to. And almost every piece of immersive theater, when it really connects, feels to me like a 
different formula to trying to solve, balance this equation and get back to, no, we want people to be present in the room and connecting with people and ideas yeah. and and really, you know, not just, not just having it pop through and slide in one side and out the other and be like, oh, that was about this. And I'm going to easily be able to, you know, talk about how this works but instead you know no it's like it's a it's a meal you've got to take time to digest to understand to like you know start understanding what complexities you missed because as much as you can be present in the moment there's like so much material that you've got to kind of you know, get in through it and this is a this is a, a another and a kind of unexplored branch of that sort of science there's mm-hmm. like this science of people that's in I agree with you. I think that, and I think that we, you know, a good part of a good show is, is good luck. And I think that one of the things that we stumbled on early was this concept of you yeah. and the title of you. And that took us out, conceptually, that took us out of uh, the audience playing in well-defined roles. And that really let us increase what we think of as the dwell time on the audience. It's that mm-hmm. all the audience is human beings, right? They're not the audience pretending to be someone else. They are the audience as the fully-fledged human beings that they are in our task as an entire production, actors, cast, production, right? Everything is to engage that person as person, to, to be present with that person as person, as fully fledged and human, and to bring out those aspects of their of their real self or the pantomime or the, the play acting mm-hmm. that they want to do. But it's yeah. still them. Yeah. Right. And I think that, that that is the math of the seven to one of the seven actors on the one actors is is there was a piece in 2010 by Abramovich the the mm. artist is always present right and it really just was this very clean beautiful work based on her making eye contact with you know and the lines stretched outside of MoMA for for mm. you know miles well there's like the favorite one was like someone she hadn't seen in like decades mm-hmm. her ex like showed up. And like they had, they had, and it was just, yeah, yeah. And you're like, what? And and I think that that was one of the things, you know, if you think about the, the artistic inspirations for this, we knew that that math worked one on one because Abramovich did it. And right. It was amazing, right? And so I think one of the things that 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 we have tried to to explore is what what are the geometries and what is the grammar and what are the ways in which that same notion of emotional presence and genuine emotional connection works not just one-on-one but two-on-one or four-on-one or seven-on-one depending on the plate and and i think that was really the guiding logic behind the construction of the plates and behind their direction is what creates that stable genuine connection between actors and audience as themselves, audience as you. Hmm. And I think that's why we, we keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to this title. It is about you. It is the only play that, that we could have made that is about you. Let's look a little past you to Holland Mirrors as a company. What, what other experiments, ideas are sort of flitting about right now? I mean, obviously, this is a major production, and particularly a major production to start with, but I imagine that there's some energy building up amongst you. Yeah, I think that, that I, I'll talk and I'll, I'll 
Lola and Daniel talked to, I think that we are delighted by the success of this particular play, and we are seasoned enough to know that if something is, succeed, is succeeding, you double down on it, yeah, and you focus on it, and you don't let yourself to be distracted, and, and you, you really commit to this, um, and you explore this, because this is, you know, it's lightning in a bottle, is there's something magic happening that we don't fully understand yet, and we want to keep doing shows to understand it, and we want to we want to tackle this economic angle straight on and, and to keep the run going. Um, and there's the option you talked to me in the past about, you know, the, the, if people want the bottle or if people, a little more bespoke action if someone comes to you yeah. with, you know, oh, what about, what about this idea? Right. Is that still on the, For sure. the table? I, yeah. I think that's still you. Like, I think that mm. where we could go with this production is a degree of customization. So, for example, now, like, it would be really interesting to write a plate just for you, right? And to integrate it into about something that was in your life and, and either me as a writer or, or one of the other cast members as a writer or you as a writer. And that moment of transformation between your script and your words into a talented cast, would it offer a degree of customization that is yet that next level? But that would be, again, that much more in terms of, of the value of theater and what it's worth. But I think that there's... Right now, what it feels like is is we are interested in the geometries of of two on seven or five on seven or or you know more traditional, but we're not interested enough to distract ourselves from what we're doing. We're what we want to do as a company right now is is really commit ourselves to this particular play, to this particular experiment, and to learn as much as we possibly can in conjunction with other production companies and other troops that are that are that are are doing either similar things or different things. Um, doesn't mean we don't have ambitions and doesn't mean we won't have other projects, but it does mean that, that we're, we are fanatically focused on this project and, and it's got plenty of runway left to, to be artists within this project. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it all. I mean, you know, everything we're talking about is how to get this idea further. So whether it be, we talked a little bit about public domaining of plays down the line that people can do, whether it be talking about trying to see whether cities we could bring this to ourselves or find partners or whatever it's just it's been all about any branch of this has been uh, while Edward Wright we certainly love to talk about different ideas and we're artists who want to explore different notions every branch of this has just been about really there's uh, there's a map that we've drawn but then there's also this is something no one's ever done before and we're just following that and it's, in, it's one of the exciting things about this artistic process is Two weeks ago, this may have been a very different conversation. We really have got our finger on something that uh, we can only predict so much about where it's going to go mm. because we just there's no history book. So, no. Um, so we're we're really mostly talking about all the different iterations of possibilities of where it goes. So we're just prepared for it all. You just said two weeks ago this might have been different. So has has have you guys learned something in the the rubber meeting the road with people coming in that's sort of like, I mean, inevitably it's something popped open there must have been a light bulb once you started having people in yeah I mean I just feel like there's a line of light bulbs and we mentioned some of them of course you mentioned like how long the play took about how the importance of the bar um, uh, e even in the last week of tech leading up to it really just zeroing in on emotional intimacy amongst the many different things we were trying to accomplish and how that could shape it um, uh, you know we're still trying to figure out 
the interesting idea of what if someone wants to go nine or ten hours? Like, are we going to let this piece always be that? That's going to be a lot uh, to have. Already is a lot to ask for no. actors, you know? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> the kitchen, is closed. No, the kitchen is, does get yeah, closed. Right now, we're hour. playing around with, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, can we bring this, you know, uh, can we create a model where this could really live in lots of different spaces down the line and, and be in different elements of the country and so forth? So, you know, we're, it's, it's a lot of just finding that... Um, uh, you're, it, what you're pointing at, and I think is why it's an unanswerable question, is it really has been almost audience to audience opening up yeah. new understandings of what this is and how to adjust to that. And and, and one of the things process. is we always are constantly talking as a whole group of artists in a way that don't you doesn't usually happen in a run. Director directs and it's like, right. see ya. You know, yeah, but I mean, it's just it, constant. Like, that, that you're here this far into the run is... It's one of those like, whoa, yeah, yeah, shocking. We're going back in the room and working on some more stuff pretty soon, you know. And, and like we said, we're we're diversifying that creative input again. It, it is a scary process, though. We don't know, like, we're not pretending we know the answers. And every emotionally real night we have is a different emotionally real night, and it's happening again and again and again. We've had eleven shows, eleven human beings have sat in the chair through an average, right, of, of, of almost four hours of more than three hours um, in the, the show and 11 completely different experiences. And I think that as as an artist, like it's funny when you were asking the question, I was thinking like, I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but the, the quote is, it's pretty easy getting on a tiger. It's hard to get off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what it feels like right now is that the process of creating this was, fun and delightful but there's so much to learn and so much to explore and so many different things within you that that we have to create that we could give a thousand shows and we would be scratching the surface of that psychological dynamic of that theatrical dynamic of a full theatrical experience for one person like we're literally we have barely scratched the surface artistically, and this is both a faith and a data-based answer. We have literally barely scratched the surface of what this art form can do. And we have much to learn from our other artists, we have much to learn from the literature, we have much to learn from our audiences, um, but this isn't even, like, this is the beginning. Um, and over the next few years, um, I think that we'll be interested in these kinds of questions and, and weighing in and, and looking to, to form partnerships and collaborations and learn together with, um, with other artists. I think one additional thing we would say is that, that we, we staged ourselves in Los Angeles on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, we staged ourselves, um, we had the option, I had the option of staging it in New York or in Los Angeles. Part of it is that, that I'm relatively local, but I'm not that local, and we could have staged it in New York. For me, the, the chance to play a constructive role in the artistic community, in the theatrical community in Los Angeles, is significant. It's emotionally significant to me. So that's another commitment um, that has really animated our cast. Um, and so if, if you think about you know, where next directions, I think we want to continue to participate in the conversation. This interview tonight across the street from the Pentagis as Hamilton is now probably approaching intermission. Um, right? is, yeah, yeah. It's part of the conversation. Are they, are they outside? No, I'm outside. Yeah, yeah. outside. Yeah, outside. <laughs> outside on smoke break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Soon, but not quite yet. Mm-hmm. Is part of that conversation is, is an opening salvo or is, is one of the early salvos in, in what we hope is a very long conversation. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, and I can I can feel it across. Like things are just starting. Um, when people want to hunt you down and and explore you, how do they find you guys? Hollandnears.com. We also have a Twitter and an Instagram. I don't know if you can tell, but I also help with publicity. With and spelled out, not an ampersand, just to be clear. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Daniel, Lola, Edward, thank you so much for uh, talking with me tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, want to thank Edward Tucker, Lola Kelly, and Daniel Student of Holland Mirrors for being our guests on the show. Indeed, you can find them at Hall and the word and mirrors.com. Um, just fun, fun fact, literally like 10 seconds after, after I, uh, I said like, you know, um, as, as sure as the, the, the water is going to hit the window. Oh yeah. It hit the window. Oh yeah. It actually like leaked through. It was great. Um, cause like I, I shut off the recorder and I was like, what if it doesn't? And then, and then it did. And then it did. So see, there you go. I can predict the future. I better go play the lotto. Um, Hey, um, it's our time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this has been a really great week at no Um, you should check it out. There's, there's so much on the site right now and there's going to be even more, um, we are going to do an everything immersive this week. Uh, we did one last week. I was happy. It'd been a couple of weeks since I'd got one out. So that's going to be the easiest place to go to. Um, right now we've got, uh, we've got a review from Zay of cafe play. Uh, uh, Kyle has come through, uh, with uh, a new series. Uh, we're calling it the plays of thing, uh, where he's looking at gaming in, in the light of immersive and kind of how they influence, uh, how that, that, that flow goes. He's talking about gone home this week. Um, we've got Edward out in New York city, uh, doing Westworld Shelley's in, uh, London, uh, uh, reviewing collab theaters, loot the team in New York city, uh, Catherine and Lee and, uh, Killian coming down from Boston, uh, did a recap of the future of storytelling festival. And, you know, um, you know, they talked about the stuff they saw that they liked and they talked about the logistical problems uh, that definitely kind of hampered, uh, particularly the Friday of the festival. Um, and some folks might be like, well, you guys were, you know, promoting them and everything. Like, you're going to, and it's like, yeah, you know, we, we can't, we, because we love something, we, 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 we've got to say the things that are. I, I want nothing but the best for FOSFest. I want, I want them, I want them to be a giant success. And this time, looks like there were more tickets than they had capacity. And, you know, hopefully next year, we'll get that solved too. Um, figuring it out as we all go along. As, as we like to say, um, and it's a terrifying thought, sometimes uh, you're building a plane while you're flying it. And there, there's that. The news wires filled with stuff right now. The Speakeasy Society's uh, broad stage work in February is is up at the moment. There, uh, there's there's other reviews. Uh, and Juliet did a review of Whisper Lodge. I wrote up my time with the Society. Uh, there's just there's so much stuff on the site right now, and there's always stuff at Everything Immersive over on Facebook. Um, things move so quickly 
so quickly, it can be tough to keep up with it. Um, so when I when I point to the Patreon and say this helps, I'm being serious. This this could really help. Um, it, it would it would be the simplest thing in the world for me to just do all this full time. It would be really really easy. Uh, and but we've got a long way to go before the Patreon would cover that. Uh, the Patreon needs to be about uh, ten times the size of what it is right now uh, to make that actually feasible if it was a patreon alone um and indeed always uh, wary about you know losing our independence um i'll put it that way wary about losing our independence uh that's something that we definitely value because um look it is it would be a lot easier to turn ourselves into a blind hype machine uh, and just say nice things about everybody's work all the time and tell everyone that, you know, everything's a masterpiece and that, uh, you, you've got to go and like do that and, and, and just nothing, there's never any problems and we, um, and, and that would be such a giant disservice to all of you, uh, in such a deep, deep, deep way that, uh, it, uh, it uh, it doesn't sit well with me. The very thought, the thought alone, does not sit well with me, uh, of of bending ourselves into such a shape, or indeed of people uh, looking at the listings uh, in the newsletter and seeing it all as endorsements. I want to remind you all. I want to remind you all, whether it's the newsletter or it's the now playing section, uh, that is the news. That is the calendar. That is what's around. Those are not endorsements. The only limitation on stuff being in there are the following two things. One, if we know that the producers of such a work are not to be trusted with people's physical safety and to some degree psychological safety, right? If we know that people are either sloppy or abusive, their work will no longer be in the calendar. That's one reason why something would be removed. The other reason why work wouldn't be in the calendar or might be pulled from the calendar is that people are saying something's immersive and it really isn't. It might be a nice piece, but it's just not really immersive. Uh, immersive is a, a lovely word. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. It means something very specific to all of us. And sadly, there's a little bit of you, you kind of know it, right? You know, like if you know it, you know it and you're good. A new LA newsletter is coming out this week. There's going to be a whole bunch more in it. Um, very excited about there's some work going on at the last bookstore. It's kind of a game. I got to play test that. Uh, Amos is coming back. Uh, I don't want to turn the, the, the show into that again. Uh, used to do the litany, but there are things I'm excited about. Um, but I just want you to know, you know, how to engage with that material. So like if you look at something and go like, oh, that sounds cool. And then you go and it's like, oh, this sucked. Um, that's the newsletter. If you read the review and I say it's cool and then you go and you think it sucks, well, then you know that our tastes differ. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you if you're the kind of person who relies on reviews and not everyone does, I would encourage you to calibrate people's reviews, read multiple reviews of a show that you have seen and see who's point of view you tend to agree with. 
I know my reviews tend to be a little bit more art focused and focused on the craft of things. Other people tend to be focused more on the experience. This is part of the nature of it. Uh, but when it comes to sort of, you know, whose tastes you align with, that's that's how I calibrate myself on uh, different movie reviewers. And indeed, um, my one of my most reliable movie reviewers that I would read was Mick LaSalle up at the San Francisco Chronicle because I usually disagreed with him on everything if it was a movie that was made after like 1973. And if it was made like before 1973, we agreed. I don't know what it was about the early 70s that, you know, that shift in American cinema. I mean, there was a major shift in American cinema. Let's not, you know, let's not go there right now. But there's something about that split where Mick LaSalle and I just 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 could not agree. You know, he hated every movie I loved. He loved every movie I hated. And so I could rely on Mick LaSalle to point me in the right direction by doing the opposite of whatever he did. <laughs> and that's great. And that's one of the ways that reviews work and do the work for you. And it is work. Um, if, uh, if it's not work, then it's not working. And there's a lot of great writers uh, running around the space right now. And indeed, I'm looking forward to uh, getting to have some of them, uh, you know, drop in and write with us on occasion. Uh, so that's exciting to me as well. I, I'm serious. Like, I'm, I'm so stoked at the work that everyone's doing. I got to give the shout out to Catherine and to Anthony and to Lee and to Shelly and to Kyle and to Zay and to Edward and to Juliet and to Killian whose name I probably just butchered, I'm sorry, and to Jessica, and um, who who am I? I'm forgetting somebody. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. I'm trying to read. This is like the romper room section. So thank you all. Uh, thank you all as we, as we charge forward. Um, and to the folks waiting in the wings, Max, Max Robeson, thank you for, for, for jumping in this past month as well. Um, to see there. And there's some other folks uh, who are, you know, you know might, might jump in, and I'm excited if, if you do. Um, yeah. Oh, oh gosh. We did a live stream this week. Totally forgot about that. We did, we did a YouTube live stream. We had, oh, we had Carly who's been, who's been helping out as well. Thank you, Carly. Carly hopped in and Derek Spencer of Ceaseless Fun and uh, Jeff Heinbuck of Horror Buzz, our friends over at Horror Buzz, uh, came in and we talked about Nocturnal Fandango's Water and Fire for two hours. It's archived on our YouTube channel. Um, we could use, oh, this is the thing I was supposed to do at the beginning. We, we could use subscribers. I don't like to beg for these things uh, because I find it demeaning. Um, and I find the whole YouTube culture of remember to like and share and subscribe, um, which becomes like a verbal tick that people do when they're like meeting you in public. It's really strange. I run into a lot of millennials. Um, no, they don't actually do that yet. Uh, besides, that'd be Gen Z, not millennials. Millennials are cooler than that. Um, not as cool as Gen X. But then again, who is? Um, yeah, we need you to like and subscribe. Mostly subscribe. We literally need subscribers. So, because there's some structural things that you can't do unless you get 100 subscribers. So, we're campaigning for 100 subscribers on our YouTube channel. We're going to be doing more live streams. We're going to do some more 360s. Uh, expect content to be flying through those tubes, the tube of you, of you that tube, uh, coming your way soon. Um, the live stream was fun 
and low impact. So, um, and it does not take the place of a formal review. We will be writing up water and fire, uh, very soon. And indeed, uh, I'm going to try and get Carly to do, uh, her point of view as well. All right. Other things in the social media universe, uh, our Twitter of course is at no proscenium, uh, our Instagram, uh, which is blowing up mostly because of Catherine's diligent work work. Our Instagram is, um, I gotta get this right. It's I'm pretty sure our Instagram is no underscore proscenium. Yes. Our Instagram is no underscore proscenium. Um, check it out. It is really, really good these days. <laughs> I'm just going to say that we're doing a lot. We're trying to put the spotlight on everybody in the community uh, as best we can. So it's a, if you like Instagram, that's a great way to keep up with the immersive news is through that channel. Our Facebook, of course, we can always use more likes there. Everything Immersive, the Facebook group, which is the co-production of us and Inside the Magic and Room Escape Artist and My Haunt Life and Immersology, uh, all of them in there. Um, so thank all of you for being part of that that wonderful project. Uh, that's it. I got to get going. There's a whole bunch this weekend. There's even more. Oh, next weekend is uh, the Cloak and Dagger Festival. Annie Lesser's got her work. Uh, kind of peppered out throughout there for the members and the VIPs. So, you know, if you're a member of Cloak and Dagger or if you want to spring for a VIP ticket, which aren't cheap, um, you know, you might get a chance to check out some of the the immersive material within. And if you're a goth who likes dark music, then you're going to be very happy. Um, we all know what I am. So uh, I'll be there both nights. Uh, yeah, there. That's enough for now. Two more things before we go. First up, the music for this show, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society, and our sustaining backer on Patreon is Ross Sigworth of the Rathskeller Club in San Francisco. Thank you so much, Ross. You make this all possible. All right. On that note, until next time, I'll see you at the show. (laughs) 